I'm here at the American Humanist Association Conference, and I'm here with uh, comedian Leanne Lord. Yay, Leanne Lord, everybody. <laughs> Humanist in residence. That is an awesome title. Uh, you, you do so many things. Uh, I do. Stand-up comedy, uh, you've written a book, you are on Star, uh, Star Talk. Uh, am I missing any of the big ones right there? Uh, no, those are, the, those are the big ones. It's, uh, it's, it sounds sexy, but it's all quite a hustle. It's a, it's a <laughs> lot of work. It, it is. It's absolutely a lot of work. If I read this correctly, I think you started out doing... What were you doing before you entered this world? Were you in banking or something? Oh, is that what I read? Oh, God. Yes, yes. I left college and I got a job job because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And I worked uh, in the corporate communications department of a bank and it was the absolute worst (laughs) soul-sucking experience ever. Because back then I still believed I had a soul. Yes. Uh, But yeah, no, no, I really, I wasn't the, the corporate type. And nothing like an awful job to tell you oh, yeah. what you shouldn't be doing. How long did you do that? I was there for five years. And so how did you go from that to any of the... Did you just like, I want to start doing stand-up, let me try it? Well, you know what? I, I was miserable, a good solid miserable for, for two years. And yeah. then I realized nobody was going to come in and save me. You know, that was my own job. And yeah. so I, I did the the thing. You know, you just go out in the world and I was taking classes and, and workshops and learning annex got so much of my money. <laughs> um, and then I sort of... You you know, after doing that and giving myself the freedom to explore, I, I remembered where I was happiest. And that was both performing, because I, I was both a journalism, creative writing, and theater major. Okay. So I loved performing. I loved making my friends laugh. I had no problem being up in front of people. And I loved writing. And so I put those things together, and I'm like, that feels like stand-up to yeah. me. Uh, and then I had something also very seminal happen. I happened to go to a taping of a brand new show at the time, Deaf Comedy Jam. I've heard of it. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> a few people have. And it was just that magical moment of, I want to do that. You know, so those, everything sort of conspired at that moment. And me being me, I took a class. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no one can teach you how to be funny, but they can teach you about craft and timing and the basics and things like that. And I took a class, and I ended up doing stand-up at the comic strip, and I haven't looked back. How do you... Okay, so I can understand people saying, I want to give this a shot, mm-hmm. and they can get that opportunity to get up on stage. Okay, they'll, they'll do it. Mm-hmm. But to go from there to saying, oh, I can actually make some money from doing this, I can oh. actually perform, that's a, that's a leap most people can't do. No, no, so they can't. So what was it about you that let you make that leap? Well, first of all, it's not instantaneous. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, you know, in, that's a very short sentence, very long amount of time. You know, to getting out there and doing your first open mic to, huh, I think I can leave my day job. Yeah. You know, and that in between is an awful <laughs> lot of work and then still no guarantee. There's some really, really funny people. Right. And I mean just like all out, fall out funny uh, from the word go, and they're not able to sustain themselves. And that's not a comment on their talent, but just, you know, how fickle and unstable the business can be. So it, it took me a, a long time, but a shorter amount of time than for most people. So you're saying there are people who were really funny that made you laugh when they were on stage, but they couldn't turn it into a career for they whatever reason. Right, exactly. Or they had a career and then couldn't sustain it. Why they, not? Well, were they just doing the same act over and no, over, or was it no. something else? Again, again, it doesn't come down to talent. It comes down sometimes to opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to have people in your corner. You need to be, you know, have an agent uh, yeah. at some point that will send you out to those gigs that will make you money. I mean, you can do that hustle in the city if you're living in a big city, you know, like Chicago or New yeah. York or Boston or L.A. 
Um, and even then, is that enough to build a life? Right. Like, what if you want something crazy, you know, like a house and kids and, you know, things insurance, that break into insurance. Oh, now, see, now you're balling. I know. You know, <laughs> so it does take a, quite a lot, and it's understanding the business side of show. What is that side? Like, at what point oh. did you say, I'm making a little bit of money here, but, I mean, I imagine you're doing that for a while before you could say, mm-hmm. no, I'm still hanging on to my job here because that's Oh, I hung guaranteed. on to my job for a while, yeah. you know, and I was I was running the candle at both ends. I was doing the nine to five and then I was going to the open mics. And, and then I was late. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, you go to the open mics and sometimes you're earlier, you go to the clubs and you'll hang out for hours. And then there's the, the classic New York City comic diner hang after everything's closed. So it's like uh-huh. one, two o'clock in the morning. You're out, you know, shooting the shit. Right. Uh, and then getting up, you know, to go to work in the morning like I don't think I could do that now yeah you know that 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 was quite a bit ago but that's what it was you mean because any place you heard there was a microphone a stage or whatever I was there you know I was hanging out putting in my time and and building you know my craft was there one big break for you um there were several you know but and and again that's another myth you know there's that it's just one thing that happens for you there's a series of things that happen over time at different points in your career because it's cyclical you know, there are times when you're working a lot and there's times when you're not. Um, and when I say working a lot, that's working a lot in public view yeah. where people see you. When they don't see you, you're still working, yeah. you know, because you have to be ready and prepared for the next opportunity. So there's not really a downtime for you as an artist or as an independent, you know, entrepreneur, which is really what you are. Your product is you. Uh, so my break, uh, the first of many, came from a mentor who he liked my work. I was, I was young. I was still getting my legs, but he liked my work. He recommended me to his college agent. And when you do colleges, that's an hour. You know, that's an hour performance on your own. And I was barely eking out 15 minutes yeah. at that point. I was terrified. That's a big jump. It was huge. But, you know, the, the agents weren't stupid. They weren't going to send out an inexperienced comic because then that reflects right. on the agency. Um, and they said, we like you. We'd like to sign you. Uh, what we'll do is we'll send you out as an opening act for our bigger acts. Uh, and in the meantime, start writing. Start, start working start, your way up to that yeah, hour. Start building it up. And so I did, and I, I remember getting up to about 45 <laughs> minutes. Like, I am counting every joke, every um. <laughs> like, it all counts. And I remember my agent called in one of their bigger acts. Um, I haven't seen her in a while, Renee Hicks. Uh-huh. Uh, she uh, canceled. She got ill, and they said, you're up. And I was terrified because they didn't want to lose her dates because she couldn't do them. So they slotted me in. They sort of sold me, mm-hmm. you know, to fill in for her. And I remember just flying out to, the, like, the middle of nowhere and renting a car and driving around from college to college to college. <laughs> and, you know, I only have 45 minutes, but I couldn't think of it that way. I had to think, I'm here and do it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm totally, while it's brave to do stand-up, I'm also that person. I'm the baby bird you have to push out of the nest. Okay. You know, my wings are, like, knocking out the, you know, and they're like, no, you can fly. Really? Are you sure? So I always need that little push, and that was the push. Um, that I got, that, like those two breaks um, back to back. And then, you know, there's, again, series of things that have happened later. How was that first 45 minutes slash hour? Um, terrifying. <laughs> well, terrifying in the sense of, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, what am I going to do? But then there's always that calm for me of getting on stage. I love being on stage. I enjoy it. Like most people, it freaks them out. Right. That's where I can breathe. That's where I feel normal. The regular, everyday life, perplexing. Yeah. 
to me. But on stage is like comfortable. And once I'm there and I get that first joke out, oh, we're going to be okay. I coach a public speaking team, so we do all the pub- all that stuff. But we always reference that uh, Jerry Seinfeld joke about hmm. uh, most people, the number one fear is public speaking. Number mm-hmm. two is death. So if you're at a funeral, some people would rather be in the casket than delivering the eulogy. Absolutely. And we had this thing printed on our T-shirts. You know, we do for fun what most people fear worse than death. <laughs> that's great. And that's exactly the thing. When you, so when you're on stage, you're in your happy place. I'm you're, in my happy place. <laughs> Even when it's going badly. Yeah. You know, it's still, there, there's, a, there's a comfort and command to being a stand-up. What sort of... Uh, I'm not asking you to redo all your jokes. What sort Which of things were you joking about? Back then? Yeah. Oh, my God. Heinous. Heinous. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, I still, back then, uh, was... I, oh, this is so bad. I vacillated between being very political and serious, you know, not realizing it's not a lecture, everybody, <laughs> to doing really bad Janet Jackson song parodies. Ah, okay. <laughs> so let's leave it at that, shall we? <laughs> Thank goodness there was no video. When did you feel like you found your voice? And you're not just doing random comedy, but, but this, is, this is Leanne's comedy. Um, what time is it? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. It took me quite a while. Yeah. Uh, to get that. Uh, some people get it instantly. I think very, very few. Um, but it, like, people would tell me things about myself that I didn't even understand. Like, they would tell me about my face. Everything shows on my face. Okay. You know? I can, so, I can see that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I couldn't. Okay. So, of course. <laughs> like, you're very expressive. Yes. Yeah. But it took me a while to realize, oh, that's what people are laughing at sometimes. <laughs> my own reaction to what I'm saying or what's happening in the room. So, it took me a while to understand that. Then you can build that into what you're doing. And build it in and incorporate it and realize that's one of my tools. Yeah. That I get to that have That no one else use. gets to have necessarily. Exactly. So, having a very expressive face, expressive face is great, you know, for as being a performer former or stand-up, horrible in relationships. <laughs> you can't hide anything. No, I hide nothing. So if I look like I'm judging you, I, I love probably you. am. <laughs> right. Um, one of the things I've read a lot lately is that, especially for college circuit comedians, it's gotten really hard because <laughs> so many of the things you joke about are going to offend great swaths of the college uh, population. Yeah. I don't know if that affected you when you were doing it, colleges. It did. It yeah. did affect me then, um, and it's gotten even worse really? now. Yeah, yeah. It for was, you specifically or for the comedy no, over world? over time. Over time. I mean, for the comedy yeah. world right now. But that was definitely a, a budding thing back then that comics were like, what? That's the thing. Like people don't understand comedy. Like yeah. they don't get. Like they they bring in the in the lion and they go. Okay, they tell the lion. Okay, now you can't eat anything. Like, well, then why <laughs> did you hire a comic right. uh, if you didn't want the humor? There is a, a huge sensitivity without I find any of the world experience to balance it. You know, that's what I feel is happening at colleges, and it's like this knee jerk reaction. You know, is almost hyper liberal. As in, yeah. Even if you're getting to the place that the kids may want you to get to, mm-hmm. they won't let you take a certain path to right. get there. Exactly, exactly. So they're they're actually being hyper judgmental <laughs> when not being open at all. And it's right. like, are you guys in college? Like, <laughs> what's going on? I'm gonna butcher this for a second, but I just saw Patton Oswalt's last special where he did some bit where he's like, there are two types of people. Like, who would you rather support? Uh, a guy who sounds uh, like very academic and studious and says. Well, yes, I, I don't think homosexual people should be allowed to get married. Or the other guy who says, yeah, them queers, if they want to have butt sex, I guess I'm fine with that. <laughs> like, yeah, that guy's on your side, but you can't 
just oh. dismiss him so quickly. Yeah, the yeah. The first guy's way worse. Wow, yeah, that really does mess with your head. <laughs> just did the whole head tilt, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember doing school. Uh, I, I won't name them. I don't want to embarrass yeah. them at all. But I get to the campus and they tell me, because that's usually when they wait. They wait. They wait until you five minutes before you go on. Oh, by the way, don't could you not about. talk about? <laughs> like, thanks for letting me know. Right. It's giving me so much prep time. Yeah. But they said, you can't talk about religion or date rape. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, did something happen? <laughs> you want to fill me? That's real specific. That makes and it sound like something happened. Something went like down. Like the last comedian. Oh, yeah. Or on campus. <laughs> yeah. You know. And no religion, no date rape, and like no jello. I, okay. Okay. What? <laughs> How about jello shots yeah. <laughs> while reading the Bible? No. And then suddenly, you know, as a human being, now that's all I want to talk about. <laughs> like I want to spend the five minutes before the show writing jokes about religion and date rape. And now you have to have an hour 15 so you can start trying <laughs> there to There we go. There we go. Getting my agent on speed dial going, this may not end well. Right. <laughs> so at some point, uh, is it true, I think you wrote for the Chris Rock show too? I did. I, did. I wrote for the pilot of the Chris Rock okay. show. Yeah. What was that writing room like? Oh. <laughs> no? no, 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 no. I shouldn't, I shouldn't put it like that. That was my personal experience. Yeah. Uh, very talented people, clearly. Um, writing for someone else is a skill. Yeah. By itself. Yeah. Writing for someone else with a team of people really hard. Yeah. You know, and I think the the folks that can do that are uber talented on many levels. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I don't think I was as good as it as I as I could have been, you know, and I was also sort of by myself, you know, when you're in the writer's room uh, and you're pitching ideas, sometimes folks are really writing in teams, mm-hmm. you know, so there were teams of people sort of, and they had their thing and they would work off of each other and I just had me, Yeah. you know, and, and my uber fandom which wasn't enough, you know, but I, it was a great experience. I think I'd love to go back to writing again now yeah. that I'm more experienced. Was that your first writing that for a TV show oh, yeah. or anything? First writing for a TV show, first writing for anybody else. Um, have you done it since besides for yourself? I haven't. Okay. I have not. Uh, although I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn it down now. Yeah. I totally wouldn't turn it down. And again, that's one of those breaks, you know, that when you tell people, it's, they say, how did you get that? It was totally bizarre. I was walking into uh, Stand Up New York um, a manager, a big manager at the time, Dave Becky, uh, was also walking, and we get to the door at the same time. It's just me and him, and he goes, oh, hey, Leanne, you write, don't you? And I said, yeah. He goes, okay, go see this guy. <laughs> That's it. What? There was no writing packet. Right. There was no submission. There was none of that. I, it was, we were walking into the club at the same time, you know, which, you know, lends itself to the argument, you have to be out and about. Right. You know, out of sight, out of mind. You can have skill, but you got to have more opportunities available to you, too. All the skills in the world don't matter if you're sitting home watching Netflix, unless that's your gig. You know, people need to see you. You know, I I, I call it, some people call it networking. I call it barstooling. You know, you you get work opportunities from the folks that you know and who know you. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I think I was able, I quit my job two years ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I didn't. You don't look homeless, I, <laughs> so you're thank, okay. Thank you, mom. <laughs> but that's exactly it was. And I didn't hate my job. I really, I was teacher. It was great. Mm. Um, but I, the reason I was able to do it is because two things. One is I felt like I could make a living doing stuff online, which mm-hmm. I figured out how to do. But the other thing is, you know what? I've, I think I've met enough people in this world that we're in 
that I'm like, I think if I really was about to be homeless, I think I could get a job somewhere. Yeah. I'm pretty confident in my skills. Mm -hmm. I think I have a lot to offer. And now it's a a chance I'm willing to take. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally, yeah. So what was, uh, what's your favorite thing to do now? You would like to write Mm -hmm. if that opportunity presents itself. You're still doing stand-up. How did the Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, connection happen? Once again, total bizarre random thing, I get an email from someone on his staff, and they say, hey, um, do you know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is? (laughs) And I'm sitting there at my computer literally going, the black guy from Nova? Hell yeah, I know who that is. Like, what? Is this real? Is this what's happening? And he explained, you know, he's doing a show, he's looking for for co-hosts, you know, and he would like to meet you. Would you like to do that? And I'm sitting at my computer going, this isn't happening. This is so (laughs) not happening. And I emailed back, um, yes. <laughs> Would love to meet. What are you out of your mind? And uh, that week, as a matter of fact, uh, again, a wonderful confluence of events. I was at Gotham Comedy Club. I was recording my DVD. Yeah. And I said, Is it, if he's in town, you know, would he like to come? And they were like, absolutely. Yeah. So great. him and his wife came. And they were sitting in the audience. And at the time, he was not the super uber, you know, rock star. He wasn't star. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Right. He was the black guy from Nova. <laughs> Unless you happen to be that geeky. And right. one of my camera guys was. And he came over to me. He's like, is that, is that how I think it is? <laughs> oh, my God. Can you introduce me? I'm like, yes. Yeah, as soon as I meet him, I'll introduce <laughs> you. Yeah. And, you know, he watched my show. And he enjoyed it. And we sat down. And we chatted. And it was really just sort of to... Get to know each other. Yeah, get to know each other. See if we had that chemistry. But he's the kind of guy he would have chemistry with a rock right. do you know what I mean right. he's just that guy but we had a really really great time we had great chemistry together and he said would you be interested in being one of my co-hosts and I'm sitting there like do, do I check let my calendar let me think about this yeah, let me get, let me, I'll bit. have my people get back to your people yeah. I was like yeah like I, he can barely get the question out I was trying to be reserved like, yes, <laughs> yes I'll marry you what <laughs> and wife go away exactly oh no let me not say that his, his wife is amazing she is so so cool yeah uh, quite quite an interesting woman and accomplished in her own right um, but yeah, but yeah was, I would say the same thing. That's an awesome opportunity. Oh, it was you a say great yes. opportunity. And one of the things that he likes, I mean, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, he has a fantastic sense of humor, uh, a great appreciation for the art of comedy, you know, the, uh, the timing, the, the language, everything. So he loves having stand-up comics and stand-up comics who don't necessarily have an intense silence knowledge, because I do not. And that's one of the things that he incorporated to sort of keep him honest. Because so, well, you know how to ask questions. I know how to ask questions. I know how to give really good blank face, like, what yeah. the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and that's actually a funny thing uh, between us when we record uh, the segment that we do a lot. is called Cosmic Queries, uh, we, where we have uh, fans of the show. They'll send in questions. And the, the fans of the show are smart. Sure. So, so sometimes I'm reading these questions going, I don't understand that question. <laughs> Can somebody interpret this for me? And so he knows, he doesn't know the question in advance, but yeah. when he's answering it, he sort of can use my face as a barometer. Like if for I'm if it makes totally sense. confused and he knows he hasn't hit the mark. But if I'm, if I now have the, you know, the oh, <laughs> face and look like, oh, I get it now, then we know we've sort of explained it to the, the average person who might not be, you know, have a PhD in physics. It's, 
I, I think some people were surprised when they heard that he was uh, doing the Cosmos reboot with Seth MacFarlane. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, if you actually no. look at those two guys, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson understands comedy, like you're saying. Oh, yes. And Seth MacFarlane understands science right. and all that stuff. Like, that is a good match. Oh, perfect match. Yeah. It, it's funny. I actually got um, that as a Christmas gift. Uh, a couple of years ago, the actual DVDs, and but it's on Netflix now, and I love that because I'm able to pause it. My ignorance makes me pause a lot. Like, what did they just say? Uh-huh. What was that? Let me run that back. So I'm. It is the slowest binge watch <laughs> ever. <laughs> what are you binge watching, Cosmos? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been ten years. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, where's the show right now? Is it coming back? Is it back? Oh, my gosh. Another? He gets asked that all the time. Yeah. And I don't know where Cosmos is second season. Oh, not even. Co- I'm saying Star oh, Talk. Oh, Star Talk. Yeah. It, well, it just got. Well, you know, the first year it was nominated for an Emmy. Yes. Which was like so awesome. Didn't win. But it almost doesn't matter. It's right. like you can always, I can always you say can always Emmy say, nominated. Yeah, that's right. You know, and that gets me nothing at Starbucks. But One I person keep trying. accidentally once said my book was a bestseller wrongly. Who cares? Take I wrote a best-selling it. book. Take it. Listen, people have said they've seen me on shows I've never been on. I don't argue. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I say thank you because maybe they're putting it out there and I will be on the show. <laughs> you know, if you're going to believe in any kind of magic, that's the kind of magic to believe in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we got... Uh, Star Talk continues to grow and evolve, you know, as the podcast. Um, Nat Geo just got picked up. Well, not just got picked up, but it is picked up for third season. Good. I actually recorded... Um, an episode I want to say about three or four weeks ago. Uh, it was it was on like military technology and guns, and I'm like, why am I on this yeah. episode? <laughs> I don't know anything about this. But that's my opportunity to then sort of dive in, and it was an amazing episode. Just the science of weaponry and conflict, and you know, he brings on amazing guests. Yeah. And our sort of screen in guest, you know, the drop-in interview that he did was with um, Ash Carter. Oh. Yeah. Secretary. Uh, Secretary uh, of Defense, defense yeah. which was like. Wow, I didn't know he was a scientist. Yeah. Like, wow. That's this awesome. This is so cool. So, yeah, very fun episode. Like, I don't know our air date. I don't right. know when it's uh, coming up. But third season, everybody. That's fantastic. We're doing it. Congratulations. Thank you. So what are the other projects you're working on now? Because I imagine you're working on several things kind of at once. Unfortunately. You know, I've had, <clears throat> I've had to dial back just a little bit uh, because I am now the uh, mother of two kids. Congrats. Thank also. you very or, much. Or I'm sorry, whichever applies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, How old? Uh, 77 and 84. <laughs> yeah, my, my parents are older than I ever could have imagined, <laughs> and I'm the hot potato kid. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm the one looking after these folks? <laughs> Why am I in charge? Yeah. So that's required a little bit of shuffling yeah. of priorities and you know what I get to do and when. Uh, which isn't the worst thing in the world, no. you know. It's an, I, I had a baby seven months ago, and that means I'm now spending way more time mm-hmm. with my parents than I ever did, like, for the past ten years. Yep. And part of that is like, oh, God, I'm back home again. Mm-hmm. And part of that's, it's, oh, this is, this is not bad because the focus isn't on me anymore. Right, right. And it's so. like, wow, is this what regular people do? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, and, and it's funny because I've gotten, you know, because of that's how I process the world, a wealth of material. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, my, yeah, I, I have a hashtag just for them. It's called parent problems because the conversations <laughs> we have are just insane. Saying. Were they always supportive of you making this move out of the, the banking office life to doing Sur- comedy? Su- surprisingly, yes. Good. I mean, I, I, they, my mom really felt that I, I sort of fulfilled my obligation by going to college. Yeah. You know, I got that sort of out of the way, and she felt like, I don't have to worry. 
And they were both very big on follow your dreams while you can. Don't have those regrets, you know. So uh, I, when I told them I was going to do stand-up, I told my dad first because he's the more reasonable yeah. one. And, uh, I, you know, I, said, I really sat him down. I was like, Daddy, listen, you know, I want to do comedy. And he turned to me and he goes, well, it's about time. <laughs> Good. He was great. He was like, anything where you get to talk, you know, comedian or lawyer, right. you'll be right. fine. And he knew I didn't want to take the LSAT, so comedian it was. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's good. Have you seen you at comedy clubs? Oh, my, yeah. Okay. Oh, totally. My mom's a bit of a homebody, but okay. my dad, you know, back in the day, you know, my first, you know, several years, he was in the clubs with me. Oh, that's awesome. He would go out so much. Like, it got to the point where we'd walk into the club, and everybody's like, oh, hey, Leon, how you doing? Hey, Mr. Lord, how are you? <laughs> he'd go to Caroline's comedy club. Security <laughs> knew him. They didn't call. I mean, he didn't pay. He was just in. At one point, he got invited to be a judge for a comedy competition. Oh like, that's how <laughs> just deep in my dad was, you know. So, and to this day, I mean, we, of course, he's much older now. He doesn't hang out like that. Yeah. But people that knew me back then are always like, oh, my God, how's your dad? <laughs> that's awesome. Because he, he would never call himself a humanist, but I really think he is. Okay. Because he's sort of, he's the guy that believes, you know, most people... Uh, think of love as a very finite thing. They hold on to it very tightly. Whereas he's like, no, the more you love, the more you have. So it's in a way, I had all these adopted brothers and sisters in the comedy world because he would be that supportive. He'd talk to people after their sets and go, yeah, I know you didn't think it went well, but you keep doing it. <laughs> he just had this you know, big youthful heart that even at his age now, he's still youthful. That's fantastic. Then people half his age. How did you get involved in the whole humanist, atheist world? Mm. Um, I guess the start of it, I guess like a lot of people, is I went to Catholic school, and that sort yeah. of inoculates you. That'll do it. You know, set you on the path of, oh, I don't believe any of this. Uh, but I really, I, I guess, just honestly started questioning. It just didn't make sense. How and, old were you, do you think? Mm, believe it or not, I think it was eight. Okay. Because I, I didn't start Catholic wow. school until eight. So I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you stepped in there, I, took a whiff, and you're like, no. Yeah. Well, you know what? If you already go in and you don't believe in Santa Claus, Jesus is a hard sell. <laughs> so I kind of got in. So I, did, I didn't get that, that, uh, that indoctrination before sort of the age of enlightenment. So I had a head start on logic. And I'm like, okay. Like, I loved all my other classes, and I knew I had to take religion, but it was always with the really this again sort of thing. Um, but while I was there, I was all in. You know, I mean, I was, I, I was an altar girl. I was a lector. I mean, you know, you're you there. Did I did yeah. it all, uh, which really gave me a, a, even a better base to question because I felt like the real questions didn't come until high school. Like, I'm like okay, this is the deal. You know, what, you know, tell me something. And we didn't, I wasn't getting those answers. Like, I feel like they're wasting their religious resources. Like, they should be bringing in folks from Rome to teach Catholic high school, because that's when kids are really asking the harder questions. Yeah. And you're, you have lay people in there who can't give real answers. And if you want us to stay, then right. you need to make that investment. And they didn't. You know, and I went to a really good Catholic high school, and they just didn't do it for me. And I'm like, ah. So I, I feel like I left going, you didn't answer my questions about life. What you gave me was a lot of judgment and a lot of taking on faith. And I'm going to need more than that. And then I got to college, and I didn't go to a Catholic college. I started meeting kids from other religions. I'm like, other religions? <laughs> what? These people exist? These people exist. Yeah, exactly. And they had the exact held belief that what they were doing was right. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that kid. No, that's not right. So I became very aggressive then in my questioning and my disbelief. And I remember when I told my mom, 
I was leaving the church because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Yeah. You know, and she wasn't happy about it. But and I'll, and I'll always love my mom for this because she's still rabidly Catholic. She believed that she had given me enough of a foundation to be a good person, and she had to trust my judgment. You know, and she let me do that. You would um, hope a lot of parents give that reaction. Oh, man. And my, my dad was always like, eh, I don't see what the big deal about this Catholic school thing is anyway. <laughs> you know, so he, you know, he wasn't an issue anyway. Yeah. He's one of the most uh, big-hearted, humanistic, ethical people I've ever met without religion. You know, he's like the poster child for good without God, yeah. in my opinion. So I was lucky to have that. So. That's fantastic. And when did you... So there's a difference then between being an atheist yourself. Did you actually use that word to describe yourself, or were you just like, oh, I don't think I'm Catholic or religious? Um, well, you know, I, I, I think I took the, um, the stereotypical journey. Yeah. You know, I couldn't let go completely. You know, I'm like, okay, so it's not Catholic, so maybe I'm spiritual. Maybe there's something out <laughs> right, there. Right, there's something out there. But even that started to, you know, after years of really sort of looking and, and investigating, like, no, that's not it either. Um, so I know there's always a lot of talk of how atheism or the word atheist has a lot of baggage. I don't have that, you know, because that wasn't a word that I grew up with. So I'm like, really? Um, I, I know that now that it has a lot of baggage. So I describe myself depending on who I'm talking to and if I have time for a fight. <laughs> you know, atheist, if I'm ready for the debate and, you, you know, and we're going to have an honest debate, an honest I, discussion. I do the exact same thing. You know, depending it, on who I'm talking right. to, I will give you a different answer. Right. Because yeah. to me, it, 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 there are shades of meaning within the community, but outside the community, not so much. Right. So uh, say the same thing about what do you do for a living? Uh, I write. Yes. <laughs> I never tell people I do stand up. Yeah. What do you say instead? Um, I say writer, performer, yeah. entertainer. You know, just because it's a different discussion, you can see their eyes glaze over. Yeah. You know, and I just don't want that. <laughs> Who, which homeless people do you perform for? Right, exactly, on the exactly. Yes. Um, <laughs> what are you, a blogger? Oh, oh. I'm uh, uh, <laughs> like I'm not. So I don't say it. Why I, I say, say it. that? I don't say it. No. Um, but yeah, no. I I love the term free thinker. Yeah. You know, because I think that does describe me in, in the way that I define it. You know, because I don't think we're done. As human beings. And you did one of those billboards. I what did. What did the billboards say? That was the African Americans for Humanism campaign, you know, um, about, uh, it was, which, oh my God, we got so much flack for that. <laughs> Who's uh, we? Uh, African Americans, the people that did the campaign, okay. you know, got a lot of flack from the traditional atheist community. Can I say that? Like, why do you have to make a special outreach to black people? And it's because because it's a different experience. A yeah, let, let's talk about this because yes, I have heard it's happening again now mm. uh, because I, even the American Humanist Association now said they're doing special outreach. Mm -hmm. uh, I forgot the exact name of it, but they're doing uh, a coalition or a caucus for. Uh, minority groups or uh, African-American humanists, mm -hmm. whatever they want to call it. But I've heard a lot of pushback where they're like, why, why does it need to be a thing? Why are you doing humanism uh, and feminism as a caucus? So what's, let's settle that. Why is that, and why is that something that we ought to take seriously? Um, again, I, I don't wish to be as bold as to think my comments are going to settle it. You will settle all internet debates. All, all internet debates. Once all. and for all. Yeah. Okay, listen. It is a a different experience, and the, the I know from the African Americans in Humanism campaign, it really it wasn't you know running into churches and dragging people out. You know that wasn't the goal. It was to say, if you have doubts about religion, you're not the only one. You know it it was a a more 
delicate and guided approach just to let people know that they're not alone. Because in the African-American community, it's predominantly religious, especially depending on what part of the country that you're in. Um, we had, I want to say it was either nine or 12 campaigns in, in different cities. I this African-American for humanism yes. campaign. Um, I was New York City which the response in New York City was like, what's humanism? Like, I mean, and the billboards were up. They were only supposed to be up for a few months, but because of whatever, some of them ended up being up there for like a year and a half, two years. People would snap pictures of them and take them and send them to me, or people took pictures and mailed them to my mom. Yeah, it was was more of a, hey, Leanne's doing something. We don't know what, but yeah, it's cool to see you. You go, girl. As opposed to um, my Texas counterpart, Alex Jules, yeah. Who got death threats. Yeah. You know, so very different regional experience. Um, and that should let people know that this is a really very serious issue. Because in the black community, again, a lot of the identity is is around religion. It's not, you know, if you go to church, it's what church do you go to? Mm-hmm. You know, it's very baked into the day-to-day experience. Like, that's what you do. That's your support. That's where your family, that's where your friends are. That's where you most likely find your spouse. And so for someone to have those doubts or to even be an atheist, but a very closeted atheist, because if you leave, you have nothing. That's what you feel. You'll be ostracized. That's a, that's a real concern. And I think people need to understand that there is a different way to talk about atheism, humanism for black people mm-hmm. or any minority right. group you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, that a general, like the God delusion may appeal to a certain audience, but it doesn't address the issues that may uh, occur to a black person who comes out right. as an atheist. Like, yeah, you know, yes, do I watch The Big Bang Theory? Yes. Do I still love Boondocks? Absolutely. <laughs> you that know, is a good one. It's, yeah, thank you. It's a good cartoon. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I miss it. Um, I miss the comic strip. Do you uh, remember that? I do. I love the comic strip. I wish you would go back to Aaron that. Magruder was yeah. awesome. But there are certain, and, and to, to not acknowledge certain, you know, ethnic and cultural and gender differences is a bit... Um, disingenuous, mm-hmm. you know, to, to not think that it matters. Listen, should we all be, you know, evolved balls of light? Yeah, absolutely. But these are the steps it takes to get there. Right. And we have... Uh, uh, and saying God doesn't exist is all well and good, but if you're talking about how it affects women specifically, how religion affects women specifically, there's a whole nother oh, set, of, set of issues. Like, listen, I don't even understand addressed. how women are religious at all. Right. I really don't get it. But I also understand how black people are religious. <laughs> right. It's like, I mean, it's to me the biggest Stockholm syndrome <laughs> in the world. You know? do, you, do, do you talk about that in your sets now? Sometimes. You know, again, it, it's it's time and place. Okay. You know, uh, is I, that part of your stump speech when you, <laughs> if you if you had to do an hour, and I'm not telling you time or place, right? What is included in there? Well, here's what's funny. I, you yeah. know, I'm going to be at the Reason Rally. Yeah. And you know, we, we there is a, a, a pre-rally comedy show, and here's what I have found about doing comedy for uh, the atheist <laughs> community. Yeah. They don't want to hear atheist jokes. Really? They don't. I mean, because it, they've heard them, because, because they've heard them, okay. you know, they've, they've heard it, they get it. It's sort of like preaching to the choir. They, you know, some of it is, yeah, we're all here. We just want to laugh. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, doing jokes at AA. I get about it. Drinking. All dressed up, nowhere to go in the, yeah, that's right. funny. So, I mean, that's just my experience. <laughs> yeah. So, or my observation, so to speak. Who else is performing at the comedy? 
Oh, wow. So, I should really know this. By the way, this is going to uh, be published way after the Reason Rally. Way after the Reason Rally. <laughs> so how well, was the show? It was fantastic, awesome. everybody. <laughs> it was really good. I wish you could have been there. I'm actually excited about being at the Reason because I missed the first one. Oh, I wasn't able to go. It was know. rainy, but it was good. I, that's what I heard. Yeah. That's what I heard. Because that was back around when I first sort of realized, yeah, this is who I am. Yeah. And so I was very excited to run, you know, into other atheists and especially black atheists. I was I, so embarrassed myself. The same, <laughs> the same thing happened to me four years ago, uh, just walking around the audience. I mean, just to see other Indian people there oh. and there's always the... <gasps> Yes. Head, head nod. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I gotcha. Yeah, I no, I was I was unabashed <laughs> and, and like running up to people going, Hi, please don't go anywhere. There's two of us now. Where are you going? Like, I'm if sure. If we hold hands if we... and keep walking, it'll just pick up steam oh my as God. you keep going. I, I'm sure Ayanna Watson thought I was the biggest weirdo ever. I'm like, You look like me. Please don't go anywhere. <laughs> But 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 again, that speaks to the African American experience, uh, religious or non-religious experience. Like because we are they know minority. what you're going through in a yes. way I never could, that exactly. a white person never could. Exactly, yeah, it's a different experience. And there are folks who have talked about this, you know, better than I, even within the Black religious experience. You know, to be Catholic within that's even a minority. People right. look at me like, what? What? You're not Baptist? No, I don't have all day to go to church. <laughs> not at all. Um, but in that. Oddly enough, to me, also just an accident, you know, of opportunity, my mom took me out of public school and just wanted the best school in the neighborhood. The best school in the neighborhood was a Catholic school. I'm sure if it had been Hogwarts, then I'd be claiming Ravenclaw right now. (laughs) Totally understand. Thank you. (laughs) Um, What advice would you give to anybody, uh, and we'll, we'll end it here, what advice would you give to anybody who's interested in going into comedy, into writing, what should they do? Um... Two very different paths, um, but you have to, you, writing is definitely a, a, a very, very strong core part of stand up. Um, get out there. You know, if, if you want to take a class, take a class. You know, understand, like I said, people can't teach you how to be funny, but you can get some basics and meet people, you know, who are also sort of starting their comedy journey. You know, having a, a buddy isn't a bad idea, um, but definitely performing as much as possible. You can write, 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 and that makes you a writer. That doesn't make you a stand-up. So you've got to get those jokes that you thought were brilliant in your kitchen up on their feet. So you've got to write, you've got to perform, you've got to make friends. <laughs> no, you've got to be social. you got to no, be that's social, a big part which of it. is you know, very difficult for some people. And I'm not saying you know, have a barbecue at your house. I'm right. saying you, know, you go to a comedy club, you hang out, you meet people. Be personable. You be personable <laughs> be as nice much as you people. can. You know, don't yeah. be in the corner you know, setting gerbils on fire, you know, <laughs> unless that's your thing. Uh, but try and curb it's the it. the weirdest Gallagher <laughs> variant. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> Watch I mean, out front row. But like any other... Um, industry, and this is an industry, you immerse yourself. And then mm-hmm. that's, that's the going out part. But now there's the social media component of it. You know, there are plenty of groups on Facebook that you can now become a part of and sort of, you know, immerse yourself in that world. Um, depending on how serious you want to become, there's also groups, professional groups on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can get the talent side and the business side of it and definitely keep growing your talent. You know, whether it's um, a voice class, a music class, you know, an improv class, a writing class, you know, because you don't really know sometimes where your true passion will fall. Even if it is stand-up, you also might produce. 
as and well. This is one of the things I've learned with working with kids too that yeah, you think it's hilarious, you and your friends think it's hilarious, but when you perform it for a different audience, especially if it's not your typical group, mm-hmm. it's not going to play at all. And unless you're actually up and doing it, you won't figure that out. Right. You know, most people start out, well, I'm funny for my friends. And yeah, that's a wonderful start. But in between funny for your friends and megastar where they're coming just to see you, in between that is a lot of strangers <laughs> who had no idea you were going to be there, you know, wherever there is, whether it's a comedy club or VFW hall, you know, you happen to be a comic. And so you have, you have to build those skills of being funny for human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, across the board, across the board, generationally, and ethically, out what's universally funny. What's universally funny? What's funny about you being sort of a stranger in a strange land? Yeah, you know, like we have nothing in common, and we're still going to do this. <laughs> um, and you know, in, in developing those professional chops, because what's really hard about comedy is that it doesn't matter how funny you were yesterday, or how funny you were with the eight o'clock show. Now that it's ten o'clock. <laughs> You have absolutely no laurels to rest on. I've even heard some of the, you know, big name comics say like, no, my name will only get me applause for the first couple minutes. And then if I'm not funny, it, they're not going to laugh. Yeah, it's a, your name, depending on how big you are, will buy you and I, I, at the most two minutes. Yeah. Because you, now you got to bring it and bring <laughs> it in the way that they expect. So the, the, that grace period is bigger than it would be for a no-name comic, but then so is the expectation. And so as you, the bigger you get, the harder it becomes to sort of work out yeah. new material. You sort of get trapped by your fame. Yeah. That's tough. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for taking your time to talk to oh, me about this. Oh, not at all. My pleasure. My and absolute pleasure. Where can people find you now? So obviously, Star Talk is mm-hmm. still going on. Star Talk uh, is still going on. And your DVD is. Called? Oh yeah, yeah. My DVD is called uh, "I'm Not Urban, I'm Urbane." <laughs> yes, I'm sending you to the dictionary to look up an SAT <laughs> word. Um, but it, you can find all things me uh, at VeryFunnyLady.com because my parents burdened me with a name that's not easily spellable. <laughs> once you hear it. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would understand. We end all of our shows with me literally saying He-Man tea just in case you need to find it. Wow. I know. And then I had teachers call me that. Yeah. Because just to mock me. Of course. I know. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Thank you.